This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and, and are an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. <clears throat> Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it's the best way to get to really know the guest. This week's guest, guest is Jeff Olson. Jeff is a former professional athlete. He was a ski racer. Um, and seasoned executive, entrepreneur, consultant, keynote speaker, and board member. Career success across sports, Wall Street, technology, health, nutrition, human performance, and business. He, Jeff leverages his unique capacities and experience to mentor and partner with entrepreneurs, startups, and free agents in the gig economy. Some quick stats on Jeff that are pretty unique. He was a professional athlete, like I said, in ski racing, but I'm sure in other sports. He was a two-time two Olympian three-time national champion, Pan American gold medalist, human performance expert, co-founder of the WNW Agency in partnership with the Juice Plus Company, co-founder of Health Food Agents, co-founder of Altius Farms, I'm super psyched to get into that, and founder of the Altius Agency Investment Management, and he's a two-time TED speaker. Um, one of the things he has on his bio that's probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen is his humbling insight. So overtraining ended his professional athletic career. Ambition drove him to Wall Street. Desire to win fast sucked him into tech. He made money, he lost money, and built character. He came to realize having a boss and being an employee had limitations. And a mentor taught him how being your own boss is like being an athlete in business. At that point, he knew what he wanted. However, his blind spots humbled him and in great ways. So Jeff, welcome aboard. Hey, thanks, Ken. It's great to be here, and I think I love what you're doing. It's uh, I've enjoyed catching up on all the podcasts, so thanks for having me. Oh, it's awesome. So, Jeff, tell us a little bit about your background. Give us a quick 36,000-foot overview from the horse's mouth. <laughs> so, having beers up in Montana, that's where I'm from. So, born and raised in Montana. I grew up um, caught between sort of a cowboy and a mountain guy and um, playing outside a lot. I was... Uh, I was a kid before Ritalin, uh, which is a good thing because I found sport and uh, that kind of became the, the uh, out or the avenue for my kinetic, energetic physiology. And, and uh, I fell into ski racing um, by signing up for a weekend, a Buddy Warner ski uh, weekend um, gig. And, and uh, I, I followed that passion. I somehow well i was the only kid my age who who signed up for uh buddy warner ski league that that on a weekend program so i i got plugged in with all the older older kids and they didn't wait around for me so i had to keep up <laughs> so Perfect. i had to learn fast to keep up or they just leave me so that that got me into to ski racing i did all the sports growing up and then i was a big fish in a little pond up in montana from a ski racing perspective and i knew i needed to get out of there to kind of pursue my uh, passion. Um, and I ended up, my dad was a professor at Montana state. I ended up getting a scholarship to go uh, to a ski academy back East Green Mountain Valley school learn how to ski on ice. Uh, it was a big blessing scholarship got me back there. And, and I was uh, immediately humbled by learning how to carve a turn on uh, blue ice <laughs> back in Vermont and struggled through that and uh, ended up making the U S ski team post. I did postgraduate year after college had the worst season of my life. Um, put all my eggs in one basket and 
uh, tried to make the U.S. ski team and, and had the worst season of my life. But I, I somehow they invited me to a walk-on camp that summer. Uh, first day of the walk-on camp, broke my hand, got sent packing uh, home. I thought my dream was over, going to college. Um, but for whatever reason, they invited me back to their official training camp in the fall over in Switzerland on the glaciers. And they, I was a free agent, you know, kind of, they had named the team, but they invited me and uh, I made the team. And so that was the beginning of a 10 year run, spent 10 years on the ski team, then retired, you know, did a lot, saw a lot, had a lot of good stories, two Olympics, met my wife at the Olympics. So I got a wife out of the gig, which was cool. <laughs> I, I tell everyone that's my gold medal. Yeah. We met, <laughs> we met an Annecy. Yeah. But on bump, we met, we met in Annecy, France and, uh, beautiful place named our daughter our first daughter Annecy and we're headed back there in a couple weeks for our 25th anniversary so it'd be cool and so after after I retired though I was a bit of a lost soul uh didn't know what I was going to do and um both my parents were teachers thought I was going to do that um I ended up having a few years left in my college degree because I had kind of plucked away at summer school over a decade of uh being a professional athlete so I finished up school with a uh, degree in finance. I got a suit and tie job back for a Wall Street firm through a ski buddy of mine, and it was my first kind of real job um, post-athletic career. Suit and tie, you know, good money, big expense account, working in the money business, and and I loved it. Learned a lot. Um, still have friends in that industry to this day, but um, I was traveling about seventy percent of the time, and we started having children. That really didn't work for me as a being a 30% dad being around and, and I knew it wasn't kind of in my bones long-term. So I moved into that time. The dot-coms were around chase technology, did some startups, got involved, spent some money, invested, you know, made money, lost money. Um, you get a few beers in me, that story gets a little, a little more uh, intense, but yeah, I learned a lot just through that whole process. And in the course of that, uh, my wife had launched kind of a side hustle business in health food and, um, I kind of was supportive, watched her. She started paying the mortgage with her income off of it and got my attention. And, um, we've been doing that for the last 16, 17 years uh, in the health food business. So, um, I, I wouldn't have, uh, expected, you know, if you said I'd be in the health food business back then, it's not something that I uh, had my sights on, but it kind of flanked in through my wife and her leadership. And, uh, yeah, we've been doing that ever since. So it's been a, been a great run um and uh we're raising three daughters and living life in colorado unbelievable there you go how's that that's a great that is great finding your wife at the olympics that's probably one of the best that's one of the best stories going yeah it was uh it's pretty cool we you know she was working for the u.s olympic committee i was checking in as an athlete we bumped into each other in processing i'm like who's this chick she's hot <laughs> you know <laughs> i told my told my to my roommates you see that girl out in the lobby you know fun stories and anyway we were there we were there a week early because men's downhill is always the first event of the olympic games the day after opening ceremony so we were there a week prior for downhill training and we had a few days uh just kind of downtime and uh the rest of the team headed up to val d'Isere, france we were down in the valley in annecy france and and aj kit and i stayed back a day uh because he, he he saw he had his eye on another gal actually, and we you know we just went out to dinner, it's not, not together, but each we each you know went out to dinner with these these gals that were working for the U.S. Olympic Committee in, in France, really cool, and ended up talking to my wife for like four my future wife for like four or five hours, and that was our first date, and 
got back. It was a funny story. We So she had a USOC, US Olympic Committee van, and we had gone to dinner in this van. We came back to uh, Tufts University, uh, owns an 11th century monastery on the shores of Lake Annecy. It's basically a castle. It's gorgeous. It's this, you know, ancient castle. And we got there and it was back from dinner because it was late and, and the compound was locked. And we, we got through the opening gate, but we got into the castle and, and the castle was locked. And so we went around back and, and uh, it was like right up a movie or something like, like the, <laughs> and I don't know how this was because it was wintertime. It was like February, but there was a window that was open like on the second floor of the castle. So I, you know, I said, Oh, I'll just climb up this face, this rock face. So I just rock climbed up the castle and like crawled into the window and let the maiden into the castle and kissed her goodnight. It was kind of fun. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> That's a story. Oh, That's Annecy cool. is beautiful too. That's one of my favorite cities, you know, in the world. Yeah. It's, it is so pretty. It is so pretty. Yeah. So what you Olympic... built by the Ro... Go for it. There was built by the you know Romans. Why? It was, it was Built by the Romans in the 15th century, um, in, in France, uh, uh, and and is crazy. I mean, it's like they call it the Venice of of the Alps because there's canals that run through this city, and you know Lake Annecy is you know this glacial, beautiful glacial lake up in the Alps. So anyway, yeah, it was it's a it's a gorgeous place. So wow. Now, and which um which Olympics did you go to? So you, that was what was Albertville? Was that 90? Yeah. So I, I competed. I competed in 1988 in Calgary, and then okay. 1992 in Albertville, France and Annecy's a, you know, like 50 clicks away, 50 kilometers away where yeah. they, that's where the USOC had their headquarters. And then I actually made the Lillehammer team in 94. Uh, but then uh, I had, I had bad, been battling chronic patella tendonitis in my knees and that ended my career. And so I didn't, I, I didn't actually compete in 94. I had to bow out. And then uh, my, that's when I retired at the end of that season. And you said, you know, so you overtraining ended your professional career. Talk about that. I've never heard of that, you know, really ending someone's career. Usually it's just the opposite, yeah. not training enough, right? And then they just fade away. Yeah. So I, I was I was sort of a different beast back in the day. Um I, I, I was I kind of came out of the more is better genre. Uh more training, more push-ups, more runs, more more, more, more. And so I, I was, I took, uh, my weightlifting pretty seriously with my legs. And so I, I, I was proud to have some of the strongest legs in the world cup, but <laughs> doesn't do you much good if, if your tendons blow out. So I was doing really heavy duty plyometrics. I was doing heavy squats where you, you know, you take your, um, your gluteus maximus all the way down to your, you know, your ankles, like, like full, like yeah, ass to grass. Things. I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and I was doing one legged, one legged, you know, one, I was just doing stuff that was putting a lot of stress uh, on my tendons and, and heavy plyos. And so I developed uh patella, pretty serious patella tendonitis in the winter of 93 and had to tape my knees through the whole season. And I had two knee surgeries, one on the left, one on the right, in the spring of 93, and tried to obviously battle back uh, for the Olympic uh, year of 94. Um, and it was just, I was pushing a boulder up the hill. I, you know, it, my, my knees, I had killed part of the tendon, and it was necrotic. And 
it was just permanently damaged and well not permanently because i you know as i say i'm recreationally sufficient now but competing at that level with the forces that you know involved in downhill skiing those days were over i didn't know it yet so i struggled through another you know season and and then i had i retired and had another two surgeries on my knees and i was pretty concerned i wasn't going to be able to really play for the rest of my life but uh, as I said, I, I made it, you know, I recovered and I'm recreationally sufficient for the last couple of decades. So <laughs> just wow. broke my leg two months, two months ago though. So I'm, I'm an old man gimping right now trying to recover from that. So <laughs> how'd you break your leg? Uh, old man soccer. Oh yeah, that's, uh, that's right. My yeah, cra- yeah. I, I, that's, that's my crack. I love playing. I love playing old man soccer, but it's, you know, I've broken a lot of bones and this one's a, you know, at 52, it's a little different than in your twenties. Yep. No, I'm sure you need some good, you know, some, some of your good health food to get you, get your role in there. What yeah, about I'm actually, I'm actually ahead of schedule on recovery. So that's good, but it's, it's uh it was a pretty violent break. So it's, it's all good though. First world, first world problems. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You can have a few beers while you're in, in your downtime. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about Altius Farms and, you know, we'll get into, you know, what you're doing with Juice Plus and all that type of stuff, but Altius Farms looks unbelievable. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I, again, I kind of fell into that one. It's funny how life works. I, you know, I grew up surrounded by agriculture, big ag in Montana. Um, and I ran away from it as fast as I could, you know, get out of there. And, and it's funny, I'm, I'm a, you know, a farmer now, as it were. I, I certainly don't work day to day, but you know, all these farms. So, um, our, our corporate health food partner, juice plus purchased, uh, the tech, the, the patents and the technology to this growing system. Uh, and it's a vertical aeroponics and we basically grow food up in, in towers. Um, and if you want to see what it looks like, you can just go to altiusfarms.com, but it, it's, it's it's pretty mesmerizing when you see it. It it I walked into a greenhouse with the technology and it was a bit like, you know, sort of little Willy Wonka, little Steve Jobs, and a little like Jetsons. And it was like this is this is an amazing way to grow food. And there's no soil, uh, and that's a whole other conversation to help under you know help people understand how that works. But yeah, so these imagine a you know a 12 foot tree of basil or a 12 foot tower of you know, your favorite leafy green arugula or Swiss chard or, you know, um, uh, you know, kale, you know, so I, I stepped into this thing and I was, wow. And then I tasted it. And I was like, holy crap, this is the real deal. And, and I sort of had this immediate vision that these, we need to sort of like replicate this greenhouse out around the country. So they sent us all home and, uh, I had this sort of, I got infected with this vision to, 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 to launch these, to launch some uh, commercial greenhouse. And so, uh, we, on, we ended up launching a, uh, I met, I met a veteran community out here and uh, there was a, a gentleman who had launched an organization called veterans to farmers. Um, and it was really, you know, reskilling, reskilling, uh, veterans into, you know, agriculture, urban ag and helping them. And it was, and I experienced them experiencing, you know, a living, breathing, alive thing in this greenhouse. And it was really like a decompression chamber for these vets. And I mean, they were twitchy and PTSD. And I met a guy who was a 15 year veteran. Uh, he was a, he was a gunner in the, a gunner in the Iraq war. And, uh, we helped him launch a small farm 
and I watched him, how this really helped him sort of transition into being a civilian and, and soldiering on, you know, as an entrepreneur and, you know, finding his, his way. And, um, that was really rewarding. So that got me, you know, thinking, how can we do this at a larger scale? And, um, I went through a few different partners, a few different, uh, plots of land, a few different, you know, you always work, you know, a little, it's always not quite what you expect to do in a startup. So long story short, a lot of water under the bridge. Uh, we launched last summer Altius Farms with a, uh, my partner who's, it's really her baby and she's a veteran and, um, she's running the thing and, and it's, uh, it's the largest vertical aeroponics rooftop farm in the country. Uh, and we run about 350 of these towers on top of a really awesome sushi restaurant out of Austin. They moved to Denver called Uchi and, um, we can grow in 7,000 square feet. We can grow about the equivalent of two acres, uh, of, of greens and we can turn a, turn that every 25 days. So, you know, we get 13 harvests a year. So it's, it's, we're, yeah, we're, we're about nine months into it. Well, no, about eight months into it now. And, and we're, yeah, it's going, it's rolling. It's, it's been a, it's been a journey. It's been a lot of fun. Certainly learned a lot. And, uh, we've got our sights set on three or four other sites here over the next two, three years. So it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been an adventure. It's been a lot of fun and it's been, um, as I said, really rewarding. We're um, training veterans in that greenhouse as well. And uh, that's been pretty cool. So, wow, that's pretty cool because I think, you know, like you're saying about the whole soil thing and space and the fact that you can create that much food in that little area is, is shocking. You know, I've never, I've heard of, yeah. you know, I haven't heard of that. I think, yeah. You know, the only thing similar that I've seen is the one what like living earth and Epcot center, right. They're growing very similar type stuff. And, but other than that, I haven't seen it done commercially. So what you're doing sounds pretty cool. Well, the, 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 the chief horticulturist for the land pavilion at Epcot center at Disney, uh, developed this technology and he, he left Disney and launched this tower company. Um, and the, the, the company Tower Garden is, is the brand name. And, and he was out in the marketplace trying to launch, you know, as startups do, launch his company. And he was featured on ABC News Nightline. And, he, like, his website crashed. He couldn't handle demand. He just was inundated. And he realized, oh, you know, there's a bit more to running a company and scaling it than just, you know, inventing something. So we came in as a capital partner, uh, Juice Plus, and, and, and bought out the residential division and then eventually the commercial division and we've helped sort of amplify his dream and his vision so yeah so he he ran disney's land or epcot pavilion for uh, you know a decade and so the, the the metric or the the uh so in the pantry shelf of people's brains I'm, i i just get them to think of 10 10 10 so we use less than 10 percent of the water of traditional ag in less than 10 percent of the space and we deliver 10 times the yield so it, from an ROI, it's a, it's a great ROI if you're a farmer, as far as farming profits go, you know, it, it's a way to want to bring profitability to farming. It's a, you know, you can do it in an urban environment, which, you know, most people live in urban centers now. And we have a lot of young people that want to come work for us because they think it's cool. Um, and maybe they grew up on a farm, maybe they grew up in a rural area, maybe they grew up surrounded by ag and, you know, they've left it for the cities, but, you know, some of them 
like me, you know, here, you know, come back in such a way and use technology. I say, you know, what if, what if Steve Jobs had been a farmer? You know, he'd use technology, he'd grow beautiful things, and when you tasted his food, you'd go, wow, right? And so that's kind of the play here is we can grow amazing, healthy, tasty, fresh, clean food, and there's a market for that. And if you can scale it and deliver to the customer and the client, you know, capacity and consistency and, you know, continuity, then there's, there's a big demand for it, so. No, wow. And that's, and, you know, we were talking a bit about earlier about, you know, the importance of nutrition and being an athlete. And, you know, I don't know much about the whole juice plus world either, but, you know, there seems to be a lot of crossover and, you know, nutrition and human performance and business performance and everything else about that. Tell us a little bit about, you know, some of your thoughts and what you're seeing. Yeah, well, I fell into that, that, I mean, I've fallen into my career. I, I, you know, when I retired, from professional athletics, I, I felt, you know, that was, I, I called that my inner anchor. You know, that was my thing. That was my, that was who I was. And then when it was gone, like overnight, I was like, who the, who the heck am I? And I think that's pretty common for any athletes that, you know, have a run and then it ends and like, then you got to re kind of figure yourself out. So I went through that. It took me about a decade to figure that one out who I was, but, but I fell into uh juice plus my dad had introduced me to it. He had, been introduced to it in his cancer support group he had gone through prostate cancer and he called me up and he said what do you think is plant powder stuff and i you know, this was 18 years ago and i mean he's like dad that's that's an absolute no-brainer like plant powders made sense to me and, and i i understood it immediately as something that was different uh, that was unique and it wasn't uh, a, a traditional like a, a supplement, like a, you know, a cocktail of molecules, like a multivitamin. I, I understand that it was plant matter. So like that, that's unique dad, get on that stuff. And so my wife's, you know, classically, classically trained nutritionist from Tufts and she kind of poo-pooed it. And, uh, you know, she challenged me a little bit. I said, well, you know, do your own homework. And, um, long story short is here we are, you know, 18 years later, it's become our career. But what, what I've, what I've learned through that journey is um, the category of plant powders presents an interesting um, option for, for athletes or, or really for anyone. It kind of sits between, um, you know, the traditional sort of supplement aisle on the right and the produce section over on the left side, you know, so it's a, it's a food product, supplemental food. And what I've, what I've learned, how it relates to human performance and this has, you know, come over a decade or so. Is plant powders? I, I talk to athletes about food conditioning, and athletes understand, you know, conditioning. Uh, condition your mind, condition your body, condition. You know, you, you over time, you do fundamentals, anything over time, and you condition something. And so, these plant powders deliver, uh, you know, a really a blind spot in most sports nutrition buckets, which is generally around you know, replenishing glycogen and rebuilding damaged muscle proteins. And so it's, it's, a, it's a macronutrient, carbs, calories, fats, caloric conversation. Um, and this is not that. This is about everything else. So this is about, if you think of the iceberg, it's, it's everything that's underneath the water that you can't see. You know, so it is vitamins, it is minerals, but it's also enzymes and antioxidants and uh, pro-prebiotics and, and a whole world of phyto nutrients that are tens of thousands of those it's so so it's plant matter and so whole foods are 
you know, majestic and they do good things to the body. But what athletes don't understand is how it affects their ability to actually, you know, perform and physiologically, um, the, the conditioning over time with plant powders delivers a better adaptive response. It, it attenuates damage. It protects uh, physiology. It actually activates parts of human physiology, whether it's vascular function or it's, um, improved metabolism. And so what the athlete gets or what anyone gets is, you know, physiological durability, quite frankly, and, and how athletes experience it is in better recovery. So you can bang hard and get up the next day and go again. And, and there's a pretty famous saying in the sports nutrition world, you know, there's no such thing as a overtraining only under recovery. And that's where a lot of athletes miss it is, you know, recovery has a, you know, you know a few key facets to it. Um, one of them obviously is rest and, and hydration and then what you eat. And in that eating part, that's where the body, you know, late at night, heavy REM, when you're asleep, when the body adapts to higher ground, um, you know, when human growth hormone comes out to play, that's where you take what you've consumed that day and, and you recreate yourself. And the, and the goal is, you know, you, you pound hard, you break the body down, you get up the next morning and you can go again. And that, that adaptive response, recovery response is, is a function of nutrient density. And that's what I tell athletes, Nutri you know, most athletes don't eat a lot of nutrients. Well, I mean, Times have changed, right? People are sort of getting caught up, catching up to, yeah, it's important to eat nutrient-dense foods, but they don't really know why. Um, they know they need to eat, you know, calories and carbohydrates and proteins and healthy fats, but they don't really know why they need to eat the nutrient-dense foods. Um, and, and we sort of unpackage and show athletes how that conditions over time physiological, um, you know, results and physiological performance. And so... That's a that's a, just a, a quick kind of you know sneak into my day job really is, is how I talk to uh, people that are fit and off the couch and doing stuff or elite athletes or Olympians or whatever or even moms or what, whoever you, know, you want you want to build physiological durability you got to eat more nutrient dense foods period and plant powders are just a tool to help you get more matter that matters into your body so. And I love that physiological durability. I've never heard of that. So that's, that's pretty unique. Yeah. 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 And yeah, athletes kind of get that terminology. So, um, it, it, it gets their attention to then lean in and say, okay, you got my attention. Tell me more. Tell me how this stuff works and why it's important. So. Right. And, you know, and, and I think that's a key to it, right. Is being more durable. And like you said, it's being able to recover, better, faster, stronger than the person next to you. I think yeah, you look at, that, that's a competitive, that's a, that's a flat out competitive advantage. If I can, if I can show you how to do that better, mm -hmm. like that's, that's a weapon. Yeah. Well, it's like, I, you know, you watch these guys who are racing the tour or multi day, you know, all that type of stuff. And it's like, how do they recover so fast? Right. It's, you know, obviously there might be some, <laughs> some additional help there, but for the most part, it's, you know, for the, guys who are even just, you know, top guys at a local gym or weekend warriors and watching how quickly they re can recover is, you know, that's fascinating. And I think what you're doing with that is, is a key to success and, you know, in growing in sport and growing in business as well, right? It's going out there, being able to pound it hard at work, go home, recover, instead of having, you know, a six pack, you know, go get some good nutrients in you so you can come back the next day and ready to go. Well, maybe not a six pack, but I'll have a couple beers, but yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, look, you know, when I retired, 
I sort of left that animal, you know, I retired that animal and, you know, I'm a dad, I'm a working guy. I mean, I, I, I'm competitive, but I'm certainly not as competitive as I used to be. It's a, just a different, you know, you wear, you wear a lot of hats. I mean, you wear a dad hat, you wear a community hat, you wear a neighbor hat, you wear, you know, business hat, all kinds of different hats. And when I was an athlete, it was very simple existence. It's very simple life. I had one hat and, um, you know, now athletes are living longer. I mean, look at a guy like Tom Brady. I mean, he uses food as a weapon, you know, and he's, you know, he talk about physiological durability and you're starting to see athletes, you know, all the sports, they're playing longer and, you know, eating a lot of nutrient dense, healthy food may not mean much to you in your twenties. Cause, cause you, you, but it, it will mean a ton in your later twenties and thirties. I can assure you that. And, and, and there's a compounding effect to eating great food. It might, not do anything to your body in a day and a week, but you, you play the long game with a good lifestyle, and th- those things build durability. You know, and food's part of that equation. So, right, right. No, that's that's very interesting. Just like I said, it's just a different, just a different way to look at it because I think a lot of people are always looking for the quick fix, right? Oh, can I just take in a pill? Can I just do this? Can I just do that? Versus, yeah looking right. at the long-term right. durability of what you are or aren't doing to your body. Because I think, you know, there's so many people in America who don't think that way. They think today, they think this meal, they think this snack, but they don't think about what's this going to do to them 10, 15, 20 years down the road where you you are looking for that durability, right? You're looking for that health. You're looking for that, that extra edge to get over your, you know, your competition and your competition in your fifties and sixties is, is really just yourself, right? It's like, all right, you know, how can I, yeah. how can I get yeah. through this? How can I, you know, how can I perform the best I can? You know, you're not going to go compete against 20 year olds and that type of stuff. You, you can try, believe me, I still try and try to do all that stuff, but you just watch those guys just, you know, walk away from you. And, but the ability and that durability, I think is, is a key. It's a key for longevity. And the funny thing is I know, on the opposite end, I know a bunch of endurance athletes are all in their fifties and sixties. And these guys are just machines because you know, they yeah. thought about that. They talked about that. They cared about that stuff moving on, you know, through their life. So now that's killer. That's killer. So I can't believe we're already up to a half an hour here on this. And, you know, we got a lot of insight, the Olympics, the farming, the juice plus the durability, that type of stuff. But Jeff, where can people find you? Where can they find more about you if they want to reach out to you and pick your brain on some of this stuff? Yeah, you can go to my uh, personal website. Um, there's links to other stuff there. It's just uh, Jeff Olson, O-L-S-O-N, Jeff Olson dot info. And Perfect. you can learn a little bit about me, reach out to me, connect with me, and yeah. Awesome. 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 And, and Jeff, this was, and I'll put all that in, you know, the show notes and the quick summary and bio so people can reach out to you and, you know, hopefully you can have some great discussions with some great people. So thank you very much for being part of this. This was absolutely amazing. Hey, my pleasure. I, I, thanks for thinking of me and, uh, um, I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Perfect. And if anyone has any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, feel free to email me at kenneth executive but make sure you go out and crush it there this week have a great week bye